In the name of our Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. In the book of Proverbs, there's a great deal of instruction on how to attain wisdom. For instance, in multiple places, it says, essentially, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In a parallel verse, the book says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. And you can learn from this, therefore, what humility means. Jesus wants you to be like the tax collector in this parable, not like the Pharisee. Of course, it's not so easy. Even humility can be turned into pride when you start thinking about how much humbler you are than other people. That's one example, but in general, humility is something that everyone can get better at. We don't expect perfection this side of heaven. However, justification is only received by humility. Therefore, pride must be excluded, and only sinners can be justified. This is really a first commandment issue. You shall have no other gods. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. See, in this Pharisee, the pride that makes it appear as though he's keeping the first commandment, while in reality, Jesus makes it clear that he has someone else as his God. He stands in the temple, God's temple, He prays, he prays to God, he takes up God's name on his lips, and he says, God, I thank you. But jumping ahead to the end of the parable, Jesus tells us that he did not go home justified. Rather, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Back to the book of Proverbs for just a moment. God gives these wise words. He who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Now, this is one form of pride which St. Paul calls being wise in your own opinion. I don't think there are a ton of people who will claim to be wise today when compared with others, at least not using that word. But how often have you claimed to have common sense? while others lack it? Or how often have you thought how stupid the other drivers on the road are? It was comedian George Carlin who said that besides you, there are two kinds of drivers on the road, idiots and maniacs. Anybody driving slower than you is an idiot. Anybody driving faster than you is a maniac. The snap judgments that we make on the road really get at something deeper in us, the pride that dwells in our sinful nature. Maybe you can think of a time when you felt the need to drive a good deal faster than the speed limit, and your reasons were perfectly justified in your own mind. But if you see anyone else driving faster than you, they are a maniac. Can you extend the same excuses to others? Are you wise in your own opinion? Thank God you aren't like those crazy people on the road. In political matters, too, we can snap to judgments about anyone who has an opinion opposite ours. Lately, we're more inclined not to call them only crazy or even stupid, but evil. God, I thank you I'm not like those evil liberals who are part of the culture of death. God, I thank you I'm not like those closed-minded evil conservatives who are so filled with hate. Now notice whether you're right doesn't matter. The Pharisee on the surface of it was right. He really did these wonderful things, fasting more often than others. 
And how much of that food that he spared might have gone to help the poor? And tithing generously and how much of his donations made for a rich temple or synagogue? We love people like this Pharisee because they keep the lights on. But when we start looking at the budgets, people like that tax collector are more of a burden than anything. The Pharisee was probably right about that tax collector too. It was fairly well known that tax collectors among the Jews had ample opportunity to cheat their fellow Jews. Zacchaeus was a classic example of a rich tax collector who had stolen from his fellow Jews by false accusation. But him being right, the Pharisee being right, was not helpful in making him righteous. Hear those words from the Proverbs again. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. It's better to listen than to speak. The one who is truly wise speaks few words. Pride is not wise because if someone is proud, exalting himself, he fulfills another proverb, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. That Pharisee was among the proud with the spoil of what he thought were spiritual riches that he could claim by his own effort. He was one of those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. But that tax collector was one of the lowly who stood apart, afar off, and only humbly waited to receive what his Lord would offer to him. One more proverb, which the Pharisee demonstrated. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. For that Pharisee, the temple was a place for him to speak his own mind, to present his own glory. He didn't want to hear God's voice, but his own. This idea bleeds into our liturgy and our hymns. Pay attention to how things are done and think about why they are done that way in our services. We have a chancel and an altar, not a stage, because what is pronounced here is not the word of a man, but the word of God. We sing instructive hymns and strong Lutheran chorales because it's more important for God's voice and God's instruction to give us understanding than for our own hearts to express anything. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Therefore, Jesus summarizes the meaning of this parable. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Pride must be excluded because only sinners can be justified. In another comparison of Pharisees and tax collectors, Jesus spoke to real-life Pharisees about the real-life tax collectors and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Keep in mind that first commandment issue again, that the Pharisee exemplified those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. But what is more powerful than those meaningless, vapid words of the Pharisee's prayer is the powerful and brief prayer of the tax collector. His prayer was only this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His prayer in Greek is, 
Because of our liturgy, we might expect the Greek word for be merciful to me to be eleison, as in our Kyrie eleison. But in fact, the tax collector was not only broadly asking for mercy for his sins, he was directly and deliberately asking for forgiveness and atonement. Think of the setting. This was in the temple. The tax collector was standing afar off, but nevertheless would have been close enough to smell the smoke, the blood, the burning fat of the sacrifices. He would have been close enough to hear the prayers of the priests. We might assume this was one of the daily offerings, which is described in the book of Exodus. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. God was making his holiness present for his people through these sacrifices, especially most clearly this was seen on the Day of Atonement, when one goat was killed and its blood was sprinkled inside the Holy of Holies, whereby the priest would make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And on the head of a second goat, the priest would lay his hands and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat. And he shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, the word the tax collector prayed, that hilastethimoi, is all over the description of the Day of Atonement, translation of the word atonement itself. What the tax collector prayed was a deep and profound expression and confession of his humility. He understood the purpose of these sacrifices, and in that that in them God was offering forgiveness to the whole community of Israel. He prayed then, essentially, God, by these sacrifices, make atonement for me, a sinner. Through them, give forgiveness to me, a sinner. Let this be your prayer daily, and especially when you come to this house. You have the greater sacrifice to which those sacrifices that the tax collectors saw pointed. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. For this reason, you see the cross, the crucifix, above the altar. There, the one sacrifice for all all time stands permanently affixed. Jesus accomplished atonement, propitiation, and mercy for your sins by that one sacrifice. So his death stands in place over the altar because no other sacrifice will ever need to be offered again. How out of place, then, is pride once again? Do you think God will admire you for your great deeds when you come and boast about them before him? Do your great deeds have a place to stand next to the golden perfection of Jesus? Do you fast twice a week? 
Jesus fasted 40 days and nights. Do you give a tenth of all that you possess? Jesus gave everything. You have no recourse. Confess your sins. It's true. An old Latin confession repeats the phrase mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, which can be translated by my fault, by my fault, by my own most grievous fault. In the words of the psalm, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. How rich and beautiful is that last verse, confessing the reality of forgiveness. This psalm is called a song of ascents, meaning that it was used in liturgy when the Israelites ascended, going up to the temple in Jerusalem. They were directed to sing their confession as they approached, how unworthy and sinful they were, but how they yearned for the forgiveness that was being offered to them, depicted in those sacrifices. And those sacrifices, again, pointed ahead to the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your Savior. God has heard your voice. He has heard your confession, and there is forgiveness with Jesus that he may be feared. All that is to say, why would we not want to speak what is true about ourselves? It's so hard for sinful flesh to admit when we're wrong. But this is that sinful pride which trusts in itself and makes a God out of ourselves. If we cannot confess our sin to God and before each other, how can we receive his justification? We won't trust in it. Learn your hopeless situation on your own and therefore learn how full of hope you are because of your God. Whom have I in heaven but you, asks David. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus wants you to be like the tax collector in this, this parable, not like the Pharisee, because this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Justification is found only in Jesus. We cannot find it in ourselves in claiming how right we are. We find it only when we are honest about our humble reality, our sin, and about who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and how he offers us that justification, forgiveness of sins, and everlasting life freely by his life, death, and resurrection. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to everlasting life. Amen. We sing the offertory on page 70.